Welcome to the Configure It Done podcast. The Configure It Done podcast is where we interview senior leaders in the SAP space across Australia and New Zealand. Listen to the Configure It Done podcast to learn their tips, their insights, and their learnings on how to run large-scale SAP programs. Please like, share, comment, and subscribe to the Configure It Done podcast. And you can find the Configure It Done podcast on Castos, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Music. This podcast is in partnership with the Black Dog Institute, who aim to create a mentally healthier world for everyone. If you wish to donate to the cause, please click the link below. Sarah from the SAP team here to tell you about an exciting guest that we have upcoming on our podcast, Configure It Done. I sit down with Sunju Kim. She's a 25-year SAP transformation director. She's been an ERP practice lead. She's done internal housing, but she's here to talk about human-centered design and the success that can mean to your SAP and s transformation. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to a solo episode, just me today, of the SAP podcast, Configure It Done. I'm so happy to introduce my guest, Sunju. Hello, Sunju. How are you doing today? Thank you for coming on. Hi, Sarah. How <laughs> cool is this? Like, it's weird, it isn't done. it? It's weird. It really is. It, you'll get used to it, hopefully. Yeah. Just ignore the big, fat, orange microphone. In yeah, front okay. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Big, fat, orange yeah. <laughs> well, as a bit of an introduction, Sanju, um, you started your career in SAP, obviously, Accenture, almost 12 years ago now, though, right? Even Actually, to be precise, 25 years ago. 25? Yeah. How so, did I get 12? I was a solution architect yeah, yeah, for 12. Yeah. So, oh, you're not wrong. 12 years of doing just SAP. Yeah. But then I have another 10 plus years of doing something different. Mm. And now, interestingly, going back to my SAP um, world for different reason. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Would you like to hear the story? I would. <laughs> so I think we're here to learn a little something interesting from Sanju, particularly around human human-centered design so obviously at the market at the moment I mean S4HANA BTP it's literally the word on every client's list they're all just wondering how do we do it is it going to work is it worth it should we just chuck SAP out should we gut it should we hold on until 2027 for as long as we can I'm really keen to see a your thoughts on that but also b what is this human-centered design and how can it be helpful and implemented and really revolutionizing to how we approach SAP projects today? Love your question, Sarah. What a great questions. So to start with my take on S4HANA and BTP, which is supposedly taking us to digital era, mm. not just backend um, in-house processing. So S4HANA and BTP are in a nutshell, fantastic technologies and tools, and they are the tools. So, you know, if you uh, kind of quickly browse through the key attributes and benefits of S4HANA, for example, we heard enough about in-memory processing, mm. in-memory database, um, faster, greater processing, and greater integration with mobile devices, fantastic, and more configurable features. Um, people can extract the insight right there and then within the transaction and process Context, which is so important. Which is amazing, those, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, however, you kind of start to think that, okay, that's a great capability 
assisting capability for us to do something great. Mm. But it's a bit more, a bit like, um, are we putting the cart before the horse conversation? Yeah. Because if I look back my 12 years of SAP implementation experience, starting as a consultant, moving into solution architect, project manager, and I actually managed the SAP practice for a consulting firm to overarch the deliveries of multiple projects. Um, time and time again, the success of the project are defined in many different ways. You know, typically we say on time, on budget, on yeah, scope, the classic, right? the classic line. But then interestingly, I had so many successes like that, but pretty much every successful my SAP project end up with kind of same symptom. People were not happy. Yeah. People dread SAP only because they feel it's too complicated, mm. too hard to adjust. And it doesn't actually reduce, uh, address my exact pain point I'm mm. going through every day. And that's no one's fault, right? Yeah. And, and we are at the evolution of that maturity curve where we don't know what we don't know. So again, my SAP implementation experience is a little bit outdated. Hopefully this is still resonating with some of you. <laughs> but between um, mid-1990s and um, 2005, when I was working on various SAP projects, often those great methodologies, I've done a lot of ASAP, Accelerated SAP Implementation Methodology, um, those great methodologies often didn't really leave a lot of room for people the users and the consultant to start the uh, whole journey on a very firm understanding of what are the key problems we want to fix, what mm. are the key opportunities we want to address, and who are actually holding that, facing those problems, because they are the people very likely have the very key to the finding the right solution. So we didn't really have that kind of structure or time mm. and budget or right assistance to, to do that bit, but we kind of jump into that solution building. Let's build a tool. And it's so interesting that often, yeah, you look at an end goal and you know really clearly I know exactly what success looks like in terms of an ending. Correct. But no one really thinks about Actually, where are we starting from, though? What's our starting line? Why? Yeah. How Start long do we need why. to sprint for? Yes. You know, is this a 100-meter sprint? Am I just about <laughs> to try. embark on a marathon, but I think I'm just doing, yes, yeah, a short-distance yes. jog? Yes, yes. Like, I absolutely, think that, yeah. Absolutely. There's a lot of really amazing points you are uh, grabbing there. The sprint, we all love agile, right, nowadays? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So... For me, Agile has been a little bit misinterpreted in a way that if you think about agility, which is velocity, it's not just about speed. Speed and direction needs to gel together to be truly agile. Mm. So I think we've done a great deal of good job in making it speedier, chunk it down into smaller sprint, yeah, yeah. and then be diligent about hitting that sprint goal. But in terms of setting that direction, which gives you that big picture, which is beyond and above that individual sprint, and also the project, individual project, or just the SAP system. Because the reason why we want to use SAP is not for the sake of using SAP, is it? Yeah. The reason why is to solve 
our problem and grab the opportunity and making people's lives better, which mm. will naturally align with the achieving organization objective, mm. right? Mm. So I think your question is really great in that we have to kind of look for that, not really true north because it's going to change, but yeah. that flag in, on the horizon, as far as we can see today, having that big picture as a um, destination or, or target point and marching on, and in that little steps of repetitive steps of marching on, we can always validate, mm. are we actually progressing? in the right direction? Are mm. we progressing at the right pace? And how do we actually validate or measure the progress we are making? Or when we hit the milestone or, or eventually get there to that faraway point, how are we going to measure in a meaningful way, not just saying, these are the list of features and functions we have delivered to you. Are you happy? Yeah. Because that's very shopaholic approach, right? Yeah. You know, the <laughs> it's in the shopping <laughs> cart. I've checked out. Yeah. yeah. But as, as we know, personally, buying a lot of stuff doesn't make you really happy, does it? Mm. Buying the right thing for the right usage will make us happy, right? And is this where human-centered design kind of comes into it? Absolutely. That's, that's exactly the point I was driving. That direction, putting the time and energy for understanding the problem and the people who own that problem before we actually go and build a solution mm. is all about human-centered design. Because mm. people often think design, a little bit misunderstanding the core intent of design. If I say I'm a designer, they think I'm the person who will make things pretty. Mm. But it is, and that, that's part of it. We, we all love pleasant things and flow, convenient, but one click also, instead of two clicks. But it's functionality. But it's, that's semantics. Yeah. It's a bit like cherry on the cake. Cherry is important to make the cake look good. Mm. But cherry is not the cake itself. You yeah. still have to have the cake, right? So human-centered design really addresses that problem space, making you be very clear about what are the problems we have to focus on? Mm. What are the opportunities we must achieve? In the other side of long list of features and functions, without using any technical jargons, can we speak in plain English in human terms? If we do a great job, what's going to be like? And yeah. how are we going to measure that? If we do a fantastic job, how are we making people's lives better? Mm. Mm. And whose life is it? Yeah. yeah. Who are we actually addressing here? <laughs> that's right. Because it's probably not the CIO or the CFO that's signing off on the budgets well, well, and, and that kind of thing. There's still people, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when we, when we, let's not exclude them. When we say people, people are inclusive terms of your employees, which mm. covers all levels, executive, operational uh, management and staff, but also your customers, but also anyone you collaborate, your partners, yeah. everybody who puts on human beings skin in that whole ecosystem, that's what human-centered design is about. Human-centered mm. design is, as you just said, not just for uh, executive. They are included, but they are not the only one. Mm. But include the whole spectrum within the organization, outside of the organization, adjacent to that organization. 
that that's what human centered design is. Ho- hopefully, that kind of yeah, gives so, you some flavor. Well, what yeah. I'm keen to know then is if you kind of had to define human centered design. Obviously, it, it I can tell it's going to incorporate you know every Tom, Dick, and Harry basically in terms of you know the the SAP system, who it's going to touch, who it's going to affect. But at its core, what would you say? it actually is in practice love your question very good and difficult questions you keep asking (laughs) (laughs) Um, if I just try to trim it down the essence of human-centered design it is about connection and building relationship Mm. and and I think this this may sound quite abstract um, and what are you talking about in the sphere of technology? We're talking about technology success here. But interestingly, in my 25 years of technology IT career, I had this period of going really deep and um, digging in and utilizing technology as much as possible. And that was great. That was great fun. But more and more, I feel that if we don't start the whole thing from that why, just as Simon Sinek mm. says, starting with why rather than what and how, and if we create that connection and relationship with the people who we are serving with this technology outcome, then we are having that the very success formula. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. what human centered design is yeah, about. Yeah. And I get you because I think that so often you do get you get clients asking for that. So as a, as a recruiter, for example, I think particularly for SAP, it's very hard now to find a pure SAP role. And by that, I mean, all you're going to be dealing with is SAP from nine to five. I just don't think that those roles exist anymore because if you can't storytell, you can't connect with the business on a real meaningful level. And most importantly, yeah, like I, I keep bringing it back to, I see so many projects. Yeah, like you said, the measure of success at the moment still on time, on budget. But it's not successful, in my opinion, if no one's using it at the end. There, there isn't, those are the important measures, but part of it, right? Yeah, there can't yeah be 100% it can't be 100% of it. Of yeah. it. It needs, there must be more because you've just paid God knows how much for this license (laughs) and you've just spent even more trying to implement it. You need to have more than, oh, well, I delivered on time and on budget. So if you looked at human-centered design in terms of it being applied to an S4 HANA project or any SAP project, really, what kind of bedrocks, what kind of foundations, like what are the hallmark traits of a human-centered design process being applied to an actual yeah. implementation? Yeah. Really good. So you asked a really good question about the essence and core of human-centered design, which I answered in abstract manner, connection and relationship, mm. right? Sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> Be empathetic. <laughs> Be empathetic with someone's problem. But it actually equip you with a whole range of very tangible approach tools and process for you to do that very thing you're starting with that empathy Mm. which is um, again I don't want to go on about this um, jargons you know we all hear it personas user journeys Mm. service blueprint stakeholder map uh, mapping look I just think that 
first of all, what we need to think about is that outcome-driven mindset. We have to change our mindset mm -hmm. in that those outputs are great tool again for us to get there, but we have to think about what are the outcomes which will actually shift the needle and mm. truly give that qualification of is this project successful or not successful. So um, rather than me saying how, oh, you know, just hire some designers and start doing user journeys and personas and uh, service blueprint, which is not a um, bad process, but more, more importantly, I would like to go back and talking about creating that right connection with the right people mm -hmm. and creating that relationship process, which actually should start far before SAP project is planned, scoped, and kicked mm -hmm. off. Mm -hmm. So typically in a, a business, and partners fortunately get into that um, relationships and conversation quite early on nowadays, you know, ideating that s hana um, move and conceptualizing that and actually evaluating business viability and technical feasibility in that business case, I think we need to have that right mindset in, in looking at this and formulating this business case, making sure people desirability, the humanity, <laughs> is part of taking equal seat in that business case mm. with technology and business viability. So um, how to do that is a very um, interesting question. Of course, it would be fantastic if you can go uh, start that journey with some great human-centered designers who mm. helps you every part of the way. But if you're not that lucky, still, I think having that um, right consensus at the beginning by the key stakeholders that this is something really important. You know, we need to be on the same page mm -hmm. and have that buy-in way before we are starting building our tools. Mm. And uh, is that buy-in from the business as opposed to just your IT? Team? Correct, correct. Yeah. But but then you know buying buying in is a complex term, right? Um, well I'm I'm signed up for it. How do you make people say in a true sense, in all honesty, I'm buying this in, I'm mm. signing up, I'm, I'm gonna commit, I'm gonna you know, find my energy and time to, you can't expect them to do that just out of pure will. Yeah. What you have to do is the empathy. You have to identify your key stakeholders and you have to start that conversation with them. Mm. So what are your key deepest pain points? What keeps you up at night? What are the key things? And if you don't have any constraints in terms of cost and capability and time, what will be your dream comes true? Oh, interesting. Hopes and dreams. You need to understand their hopes and dreams and biggest pain point, and then line them up in the pocket of what are the easy and fast things we can achieve? Mm. What are the more complicated but very important things we need? We shouldn't be forgetting in this long journey or even beyond the initial implementation of S4HANA. And in that conversation, you have to make sure positioning S4HANA's place as a major player, but not the player. Mm. Because of, more often than not, our problems and dreams are much more complicated, by, complicated than being addressed by just one super system is that yeah. right and and at the end of the day let's face it s4hana is still a back-end system 
systems of record, mm -hmm. not systems of differentiation, or not systems of innovation. Mm -hmm. But having S4 HANA, I, I often talk about this analogy. If I look at my house, no matter how much of uh, um, Alexa and smart lights <laughs> and Google Home I want, if, if my house doesn't have proper plumbing system, the back, backbone of the house, none of that actually matter. Mm. So for me, like as for HANA, these backend systems are like plumbing system of the whole enterprise. You've got to sort that out before you can do any whiz-bang smart, amazing stuff. Mm. Mm. And from my experience of working in digital innovation using IoT, machine learning, AI, robotics process automation, mobility, all of these amazing technologies inherently has to integrate with SAP to bring yeah. that true benefit yeah. back into the enterprise. So, sorry, I'm carrying away. What was the question? <laughs> The hallmarks, the hallmarks of what human-centered design are thinking. Right. And I think you did touch on it. You said, you know, the beginning is the conversation needs to start early. Correct. Not when you start. Yeah. You need to really understand, yeah, like you said, connect with empathy. Correct. And I think a really interesting point that you touched on is if money wasn't an issue, what actually would you want to achieve in this? So if you show your deep understanding of what that person feels yeah. in terms of hopes and desires, as well as pains, that gives you immediate trust mm. and connection, even if you don't give them the solution today. It's yeah. a bit like when you walk into a shop, some salespeople does that really well, yeah. right? Yeah. Even though you, you know that stuff that salesperson has is may not be the exactly right when that salesperson shows that empathy mm. and the intention to understand where you are coming from what you actually need you feel like buying don't you yeah they do <laughs> i mean it's yeah. funny because as a recruiter we do something really similar yes um often you know i'll i'll call somebody and they'll be like oh well tell me about the job mm. and i'm like but i want to know you correct because I have, I could have many or I could have none. Yes. But if I don't know what you want, and we ask a really similar question, you know, you say, if money's not an issue, what's your dream? Absolutely. We say the same thing. Yes. If, forget about why I've called yes, you. Yes, yes. What's your dream? Because yeah, like you said, you walk into a shop, you don't necessarily know if they have what you're looking for. Correct. But like, I think really important for you as well, when you walk into a shop, not knowing what you're looking for, you're overwhelmed. You look at racks and you're like, I don't know if I need any of this. And maybe you walk out with a thing you don't need. And you, I feel like it's, it's so I'm, similar, right? Yeah, it's I'm so, so similar. refreshed to hear that from you, from your recruitment perspective. Mm. It's all the same, isn't it? It if, really is. If you're yeah. driven by your own purpose and longer term view, not just matching someone with a job, right? Yeah. Then you care. And yeah. you empathize with that person. And that gives you the ticket to create that right relationship mm -hmm. and trust and connection. Once you have that, hey, you it's can so start the easier. journey. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's so much easier. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So if that's the beginning, what does it look like in the middle? Human-centered so, design. Um, so that's the older way to defining that problem space, I call it. Yeah. You know, defining that roadmap 
and the target state and having everyone on the same page, having buy-in, consensus, all of that. Now, now what, right? So <laughs> one of the interesting mistakes I see often happening is that some organization does really well all the way there, mm -hmm. but then actual solution building and development can be dropped off the cliff. By, yeah, by all of a sudden, okay, we figured it all out, and you've got beautifully written, amazing. <laughs> Everyone Look at signed this documentation. up. Yeah, documentation. <laughs> go and build it and throw it over the fence. I think that's one of the classic mistake we must address. In that, that continuous interaction and connection and validation with the real people who will use that system at the end of the day, who knows nothing about the technology or configuration. Mm. Keeping that interaction all the way through in that development uh, process is the key. And that's, you know, that starts to pulling a bit more um, disciplined process in terms of structuring those sp sprint, not just having the ceremony for the sake of ha having the ceremony, but actually use that as a frequent checkpoint, check-in mm. and checkpoint with the people who know nothing about SAP com configuration and deliberately so. You don't want them to actually start to talk to you about, can you change that configuration that way? You don't want that. You want them to just plainly state, you know, in my real life, this is how I use it. Yeah. This is my process. This is my. Po this is the policy I need to follow. And in the system, if somehow you make the magic, this is the outcome I should be having. And it's um, again, it brings up my favorite analogy about this process. Diet. Let's talk up. Talk about diet. Everybody's kind of thinking about how much weight I should lose this year, right? Um, <laughs> and. If you think about it, what is simpler than being on diet or lose weight? Eat less, move more. Is there more, more than that? Mm. It is that simple equation, but why 90, 90% of people cannot maintain their ideal weight mm. and fail to lose? And there's so much industry supporting this weight loss but hardly hear any success story, right? It's yeah. still quite a um, few, far, far between and few. So for me, the process of this dieting is very similar to um, human-centered design again. If I'm a, let's say I'm the weight loss expert, I am today, and then Sarah, you're my lucky client. Sure. And if I just go and say to you, Sarah, what do you want? Tell me, what do you want? in terms lose of weight. losing weight. Yeah. That's right. You want to lose weight. Yeah. Oh, everybody says kale is fantastic. I should eat more <laughs> kale. Okay. Um, I like to have um, at least two course meal for my dinner, but I still want to lose weight. And maybe I should cut down my calorie intake less than 1,000 kilojoules per day, something like that, right? Yeah. And I just write it down. And sure, Sarah, I'm going to you know, find the correct diet yeah, plan let's for put you. A, yeah, let's put a plan together. A bit less confidence there, right? Will, mm. will that person really come up with something? Whereas if I'm starting to ask, okay, Sarah, let's put aside how much kilos you need to lose aside. And let me ask you some questions. What sort of food you actually love to eat? Mm. And what sort of food you have allergic reaction or you really hate, no matter how good they are, you hate it. And Typically, how's your day look like? Do you have 10 minutes to cook your dinner or do you have 
an hour to cook your dinner. Do you only cook for yourself or do you have a little children who you need to care for in terms of creating one meal everyone mm. can eat? What is your physical vulnerability? Do you have some proneness to high blood pressure? Um, do you have cause often popping up on your uh, lips? So if I ask very relevant and specific questions about you, then you have a lot more confidence in my diet plan, mm. which will be you-centered, Sarah-centered. Yeah. Not just giving you a boilerplate of less than 10, <laughs> 1,000 kilo, kilojoules a day and you've got to eat maximum amount of kale, mm. how disgusting it tastes. It, I don't care, you should eat that. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's exactly what human-centered design is about. Human-centered design is putting that people who face those problems, who wants that improvement in the middle, right, left, right, and center. Mm. You keep thinking about everything from their own world. You know, you're almost trying to teleport yourself inside of their brain and see the world through their eyes and speak the language through their voice. Mm. You've got to think about that amoeba uh, yeah. tactic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then the, the beauty and the challenge of this process is that often it's not just one person or one type of user group. You've got to cater for the whole solution direction. Mm. So even before you start doing this um, structured, asking the right questions process um, and understanding that specific person, you have to do what they call stakeholder map. Again, mm. sounds very, you know, impersonal, try, <laughs> yeah. but uh, simply speaking, it is all about understanding, okay, that same problem, what are the all different people who will face that problem slightly differently from mm. their own context and identify those people who do I need to talk to, to see the exactly same problem and same goal through their eyes and with their voice. Mm. So that's st stakeholder mapping. Yeah. And, and often we miss quite an important part of the people because sometimes companies just don't care about their employees but only care about customers. So if that's the middle, and it sounds like human-centered design really is almost that combination of, I think it's knowledge and empathy, isn't it? It's knowledge of who you're working with and then the empathy of really not just taking a face value statement, I want to lose weight, actually digging into why what do you have coming up what kind of body do you have what are your eating habits like all of that it's it's not just taking that face value statement of we want s hana why do you want it is it just the cutoff so what i'm curious to know now is if the beginning of human-centered design is at the very very even pre s hana even becoming part of the conversation knowing where you're starting and knowing the people that you're starting with if the middle is fully understanding and having those constant touch points of saying, okay, this is this was the beginning, this is the end, how are we doing? Particularly with people in mind. Yeah, what what does the end look like? What would a what would you say are some hallmark traits of uh, a program that doesn't have human centered design in it, and then one that does? I'm gonna be very simple and abstract again. The hallmark difference is the happiness. Mm. So without human-centered design, often people feel like they are being pushed. Yeah. Before they understand the benefits and why, they feel like someone's just strangling their neck, saying vanilla SAP is fantastic, just eat it. Yeah, no just matter have how the much. cookie. <laughs> 
have the cookie ASAP. It's fine. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they feel strangled, like, uh, because business wants it, because our customer wants it. But where's me, my happiness in that? Mm. You know, hum, humans are rightly so selfish, self-centered, and that is not a bad thing. Yeah. We can't discount the people who will actually have to pull up the most effort and um, you know energy into it. If if you exclude them, then the success of that project either less than what you expected or very superficial. Yeah. Often those projects end up with a result. The very people who will use it goes, well, I don't know what we have, what was that all about for? You know, another couple of millions dollars drained. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I'm not happy with this. Yeah. I know I'm I'm forced to using it. Mm. Whereas human centered design properly applied driven and follow through, close the loop of that whole process till the end. Whether the final tangible result is up to that expected level or not, everybody is in peace and they are mm. happy to be in that process because they are heard and they know the intent is to support them. I think interestingly enough, the reason I feel strongly about what I believe in back in SAP after I played all of these front-end technologies and doing most of things for customers and our front-end workers is that I started to think really more about, you know, every company says we want our customer love our product, our services and us, right? That's every, every company's vision at the mm. end of the day. But as Simon Sinek accurately said, your own employees will have to love your organization before any of your customer will ever will. Mm. So we, we talk about customer experience. CX has been such a buzzword. And for me, employee experience and customer experience are two sides of the same coin. Mm. They are not two separate things. You cannot give what you don't have. Yeah. So it's such an irony we keep saying, we're going to provide great customer experience so we can succeed and give your own employee crap experience. Mm. And unfortunately, a lot of that crap part, SAP is part of it. What I'm saying is not because SAP doesn't have the capability. SAP is the greatest tool in the market. You can do anything. I, I remember I was so fascinated by how much of collective thinking and knowledge is in that software because by configuring in so many different ways, you can pretty much fit in anything. Yeah. Right? The, the technology and tool itself is so super powered, supercharged. It can do anything we want. But what is that we want? It's so ironical. We don't spend even close or, or you know, comparable level of effort in understanding what do we really need, need to have yeah. before you go and actually build it. Because these technologies are like superpowers. Mm. Going back to that employee and um, customer talk, the reason I feel strongly why SAP um, 
why human-centered design is so critical in SAP's success is because SAP is creating most of the experience of that employee part. Yeah. And if you truly believe your employees are the most strategic asset for your organization, you support them, you empower them, you mm. inspi inspire them, and so will your customers. Yeah. That's such a simple equation we often forget. No, so, that's true. So the whole yeah. process of empowerment of your true workforce, as for HANA implementation process can be such a pivotal moment. Mm. And there's so much to gain by having human-centered design in whatever shape, whatever degree your organization can afford. Because mm. it could be as simple as some mindset culture shift sessions. Hey, guys, let's meet more with the people rather than having that um, drew a line in the sand between IT department and business and yeah. whoever. Why don't we meet them regularly every four weeks? Because let me give you striking statistics based on research data. If you expose your developers regularly two hours in every six weeks, then the customer satisfaction the, for the result of the development goes more than 40%. That wow. is a research data which is proven. So that two hours exposure doesn't mean you actually have a structured design thinking workshop yeah. with them. Yeah. You just go and see them, meet them, and, and, and say, well, let me see how you are using the system. Mm. And sometimes not even the system. Let me just follow you around for two hours. What are you doing? And <laughs> at, <laughs> what do you do with your day? Well, yeah, yeah, but and, it's true. And at which point of time you actually need to pull out that SAP uh, transaction screen and you will learn so much about, mm. it's not just about giving them transaction code which is beautifully configured, it's about understanding, oh, actually in that point of time they have to use mobile phone instead yeah. of computer. They yeah. don't have the uh, desktop access. Oh, typically for that transaction they have approximately five minute max. So what that means for their cognitive capability to be absolutely productive within five minutes, I have to give them maximum 10 field to fill in. Yeah. Not more than 10. So it really informs your whole design and development mm. effort based on firmly grounded reality. So um, yeah, that's, um, yeah. thanks for mentioning about my new business, which <laughs> is very fun name, Coffee. Coffee IT. Yeah. So a lot of people ask me, why do you name your business as Coffee IT? And my answer is because personally, I believe the greatest benefit of all of this technology has to be to give us more time for coffee. Yeah. So more time to just be. If, if, um, if technology is doing this great job of automation, simplification, eliminating all the crap for us, do the you know difficult hard uh, dirty works for us. What will happen is we will have more time for coffee. Mm. Coffee time is so symbolic because I love having coffee by myself because that's the time to be with me and reflecting, and that's the time I can be creative and have some amazing idea and so simply feeling good. And coffee time with others is the starting point of connection and relationship and empathy. Mm. So all of this idea, you know, again, I'm trying to be very abstract and simple. I, I feel that there's a huge 
um, benefits and role for human-centered design to play. And going back to that degree and structure and the length of human-centered design, you don't have to have multi-million dollars to inject that human-centered mm. design in the most elaborate way. Teach people some very simple basics of design thinking. What is design thinking? Everybody thinks something different, right? Everybody think about some sort of diamond or um, sticky notes, um, <laughs> butcher papers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But design thinking is really, number one, being empathetic. You know, try to think from your perspective. And that is different from sympathy. Sympathy is yeah. feeling for you, but empathy is feeling with you, yeah. right? And then the second thing is be, be design thinking number two idea is be like a child, be like a beginner. You always ask why. Do not mm. take anything just because that's the way we have been doing for donkey's years, just yeah. because that's what my boss wants to tell me. Having that innocent why, not necessarily confronting people, but well, I don't understand why. You know, have that beginner's exploration mind is the design thinking. The third one is not being judgmental. Mm. You know, do not think that world is made of black and white and yeah. there's something always wrong. You know, that's a different perspective. Mm. And always understanding what are the pros and cons on that situation and, and have that non-judgmental mindset mm. and that's really helpful to form a relationship right if if someone's judgmental you don't want to talk to them and then the fourth one is everybody says embrace your failure you know learn from it fail fast but hey let's face it we all hate to fail yeah I mean, we are hardwired from the school days. If you fail the exam, you're a loser. What are you talking about? Yeah, you and you have to do it again. That's right. What's the point? <laughs> yeah. So design thinking number four is that always focus on the learning because there's hardly ever, never failure if you learn something about it. Mm. And stop that cost of learning at the level you can handle. Yeah. Right? So, so that's the design thinking number four. And design thinking number five, what is it? Listen to each other. These are supported approach. Mm. My management, my boss, they don't tell me exactly how, but these are the high level thing that will support me to apply. Mm. So going back to my SAP implementation experience and memory, you know, although the world was different then. Design thinking, human-centered design didn't even exist. 1995, who knows about these things, right? Um, and we were just you know, marching on like army of soldiers based on these hundreds of pages of business requirement document in front of us and creating functional specification and ex execute unit testing, user acceptance testing, regression testing, integration testing. You don't like it, too bad accept it, you know, that mm, approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even in that difficult times, I remember a few of my colleagues, I wouldn't mention real name of that, let's say Joanne and Bob. So Joanne and Bob were abapas. You know, abapas are in this very intricately complex situation of management say, go and do vanilla. And mm. then you just said, no way, Jose, I can't accept that like that. So I've got to, you know, have a customization or whatsoever to, to do that. And Abapus were, these two Abapus were very, now looking back, they were innate human-centered designers because 
often our purse just do whatever people say, this is yeah. what I need. And then at the end, get all the blame. That's not what I expected. Who told you so? <laughs> and then they go like, well, I work so hard. What, you know? Yeah, and having to juggle sucks, these two right? things. Yeah. But Joanne and Bob were quite an outstanding purse. They will always put that documentation aside, read it, put it aside, and go and actually sit down with those people who, who said, I need this. And they keep saying, yeah, you need to change that switch. Um, you need to have that capability. You need to make that happen. And they say, yeah, we will. But let's just step back and mm. tell me about your whole process mm. and how you're using it. And with this thing, that shiny button, what is the thing you want to achieve? You yeah. know? What is it going to do? So they were asking this. And I was quite fascinated when I was watching them because at that time, just asking those benign whys were seen as a bit controversial. Mm. Like, you know, client-server structure wasn't just in hardware concept. We were the server, they were the client, they were the masters. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah, just do (laughs) it. I've already told you. What's your problem? Yeah. Um, But they really did that process. And always the outcome of that ABAP development by those two were outstandingly satisfying. Mm. And people respected them. Mm. They got the most respect out of all the functional consultants because they were not, not the ones who will just go and do it. Yeah. And they were asking the right questions. And I think that is that is genuinely the number one skill we look for. Correct. As and a that recruiter. is human centered design. Yeah, that human is, centered design it? is talking to them. Yeah. It's Go and have a who's, chat. <laughs> it's literally someone who like it's funny you brought up coffee, but something we often say in recruitment, is this the type of person you have a coffee with in the morning and then a beer in the evening? Yes. And that is that is yes. something you don't see on the CV. It's not something that so someone true. shouts from the top of the roofs so about. True. But it's such an essential part of, I think, where SAP has come as a technology. It's too ingrained in your business now for your IT team to sit completely separate. Absolutely. You need to be there. Absolutely. You need to know who's actually working these things. It's like expecting an SAP WM consultant who's never been to the warehouse to know what they're doing. They don't even know what stock is in there sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that that's becoming so important now. And particularly, I think COVID posed an interesting challenge in that. Very, we did lose that. Very, we lost very. that human connection. Yes. And now that it's coming back, I don't think I've spoken to a client of late who has just said, oh, well, you know, nah, they're just going to sit in the corner and they're going to do their work. It's just not the way anymore. You you need yeah. to be able to have yeah. some form of human connection because, yeah, if you aren't yeah. working in the same space, it's like that 1% deviation at the beginning. It's not much at the beginning. Yes. It's just 1%. Yes. But yes. fast forward 100% later, you're way off. Yes, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, it does certainly pose some challenges for us, but with anything, any situation, it is so much about acknowledge the constraints but 
take the advantage of the situation where you can, right? Because this hybrid working, I personally love it because Mm. I don't have to just move myself every single day just for the sake of being in the office. There are things which which are much more productive by being myself in my own environment. Whereas I'm, I'm very um, 50 extrovert, 50 introvert, I do miss people. If mm. I don't go to see people in real two to three times a day, a week, I feel quite sad, like yeah. feeling isolated and lonely. So um, I think everybody, if, if they can take advantage of this flexibility and agree on that time, can we actually connect? And, mm. and physically do something together. Because um, there are advantages and disadvantages on virtual meetings. Virtual meetings tend to be very focused. We can get a lot done. But then when when we are meeting in person, not just hearing your voice, Sarah, mm. or two-dimensional image of you, I read a whole lot more about your hands and yeah. your overall ambience, your energy, very subtle difference in your you know, mouth shape. All of this we, we miss, right? Yeah. So for me, like human-centered design um, can be done virtually and in person. And in fact, in the middle of COVID, I was in the middle of doing design thinking workshops for about 300 people. And I was really scared and had almost nervous breakdown to run design thinking workshop completely virtual. Mm. But then interestingly, always, you know, starvation drives innovation. (laughs) I suddenly realized running this 100 people design thinking workshop virtually can have its advantage and different type of perks, such as, you know, using Teams and Mm -hmm. um, mirror tools. I didn't have to worry about actually physical logistics constraints pulling in so many different people's time into that space and time, which is very hard to achieve. And I I used to hate the post-design thinking workshop with so many butcher papers and (laughs) sticky notes, and I'm like, kill me now. How am I going to do all of this? Whereas Miro sorts all of that out. Um, automatically with affinity mapping and um, and Teams gives you this breakout room capability. So I've got 200 people on this Teams call and I could make 20 breakout rooms, which is not possible yeah. in, in the lo- um, physical logistics, right? Yeah. So you just have to apply your same spirit, intent and purpose of human-centered design in whatever situation with that constraints and you can take it to your advantage turn that into your advantage that's what we need to uh, believe and and i think the crux of human-centered design again is really going back to that trust in humans ability you know someone someone said to me really great um phrase about innovation equals lack of time and or resource multiplied by optimism. And I think that's so true. Yeah. Um, you know, starvation drives innovation. We, we don't innovate unless we are a bit pushed. Yeah. But then when you are pushed and feel under pressure and stress, if you are not optimistic, then you don't come up with brilliant thought and ideas, right? So human-centered design is so much about the trust and belief in our capability to innovate. That, that, that is where everything kind of meets together using this 
digital technology, um, using human-centered design, it goes better life for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a what a lovely way to wrap up. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I appreciate it. Hopefully, we'll That's see you okay. again soon. And if anyone wants to reach out to Sanju about anything around human-centered design thinking, she obviously knows what she's talking about. Um, yeah, feel free to leave a little comment in the box below, and we'll pass along her details. But thank you so much. Thank you for having me.